0: Open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter one going to be bringing a message on the call of God this morning. Let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but but, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a great day. So many of our young people preparing for the rest of their lives. Lord, we have children who have moved into new Sunday school classes. We have teachers who are receiving new students. Lord, we have young people, who, children who have entered into the teen group now. and They're so excited about that. Lord, we have these graduates who are heading out into the world. and So, Father, I just pray for all of these that you will continue to work in their lives through your word. And Father, help us to understand this morning... What this text means because it applies to every one of those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. I want to talk to you this morning on him that calleth you. The first thing that I want us, the first question that I want us to answer is who does the calling? Who does the calling? Well, this is God. God the Father. Calls us into salvation. God has given us this call. So now the question is, and this is a question that if you have been around Christianity for any length of time, this is a question that has bothered people for a lot of years. (laughs) Who is the call for? Who is this call for? Is the call of God for everyone? Or is it just for the few who are of the elect? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, there are some people, here's what they believe. You're elect. You're elect. (laughs) Sorry, you lose. You elect. Sorry, hell for you. You're elect. You understand, there are people that actually believe that. They believe that God, before the foundation of the world, based on his own will, elected some people for heaven and some people for hell. He chose to make some people vessels of honor and some people vessels of dishonor. He chose to make some people vessels meet for his purpose and others vessels of destruction. In other words, God created some people simply to send them to hell. This is an important question. Who is this call for? I remember that we had a men's retreat uh, when I was on staff in Stillwater. And the preacher had preached a great salvation message, 750 guys there. And I I was in the back and I watched this man. He was probably in his 70s and he was just weeping. So I went over to him and I I, I said, Sir, do do you need to be saved? And he said, yes. And I said, well, let's, let's go forward. Let's, let's get this settled. And he said, oh, I could never be saved. It's not for me. You don't know what I've done. It's not for me. You don't know what I've done. This is a very, very important question. Who is the call of God for? All right? Now, have your Bibles ready. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles provided for you in the pew and we're going to be scouring the scriptures this morning, looking at many verses. So look with me, first of all, at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I googled this yesterday, the call of God. I wanted to see what would come up. And how many of you have heard of John Piper? Have heard John Piper? It pulled up a message by John Piper on the call of God. And basically, his position is what I just described, that God created some people for heaven, created some people for hell, and that the call of God is only for the elect. And he said, it's like this. You see someone that's asleep. And you want to wake them. So what do you do? You walk in. You get close to them and you go, wake up. And what do they do? They wake up. Now, and here's what here's his illustration. Does that person make a decision about whether or not to awake? Did they Was that of their own volition? Or did it come from outside? Well, that's great if you're talking about waking somebody up. So we're going to look at the Scriptures and we're going to see if John Piper is right or if John Piper is wrong. And I can tell you from the beginning that John Piper is wrong. Amen? Uh, how many of you are glad How many of you are glad that Jesus Christ revealed Himself to you? So we're going to look at this call and try and get an understanding of what it is. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all... Well, first of all, let's go to verse 4 and then we'll back up. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's talk about God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, let me tell you something. That's not an ambiguous statement. That is a very clear statement. This verse and a verse in 1 or 2 Peter are called the the, the hardest verses for the Calvinists to get around. Now let me tell you this something. I, I don't want to have a faith where I have to get around verses. I just want to be able to accept what the Word of God says. And the clear teaching of this is that God wants every individual in the world. He wants all men to be saved. Is that what the Bible says? That's what God wants. But the problem is, the Calvinist, I'm sorry, this wire is uh, giving us all kinds of noise today. I don't know if it's in the wrong position or what, but if it's driving you crazy, just raise your hand and I'll try and fix it. Here, I'll take off my coat. Maybe that'll help. Um, and here's, here's the problem. For the Calvinist, they believe, and what do I mean by Calvinist? A Calvinist is a person who follows the teachings of John Calvin. John Calvin was one of the Reformers, lived in the 1500s. And he uh, expressed a system of doctrine that Augustine had promoted back in the late 300s, early 400s. He called his system Reformed Augustinianism. And basically, it was identified for us in the Council of Dort, and it gave us five positions. Number one, here's what they believe. This is the Calvinistic position, that man is totally depraved, and that is... Because of his sin, he's dead in his sin, and is incapable of responding to the gospel. So depravity is biblical. All of us are sinners. Amen? Total inability is unbiblical. It's not found in the Scriptures. Whosoever will, let him taste of the water of life freely. That's what the Bible says. Whosoever will may come. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that position, it's just blatantly unscriptural, but that's his first position, total depravity. Then the U, and it makes a TULIP acronym, unconditional election. And that's what I described for you, that God, somewhere before the foundation of the world, elected some people to heaven and some people to hell, not based on the man at all, but just based on God's sovereign will, unconditional election. Well, the Bible says that he would have all men to be saved. The Bible says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So unconditional election is false, but that's their second point. The L is, it's very destructive and it's called limited atonement. And that means that Jesus didn't die for everybody. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have Everlasting life. Is that right? 1 John 2, 2. And he is the the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Limited atonement teaches that Jesus Christ only died for those people that would be saved. He didn't die for everybody. I had a guy one time that was considering joining our church. And he had a ministry. um, And in his ministry, he's a great guy. And this is a great guy loves God, and is doing more for the Lord than many of us in this room. But he wanted to join our church, but he said, I want you to know I'm a five-point Calvinist. And I said, um, and he, but he, he would go out preaching every week. And I said, when you're preaching, did you, do you tell people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them? He goes, every week. I said, well, then either you're lying to them or you're not a Calvinist. He just looked at me. He said, what do you mean? He said, how do you know that Jesus Christ died for those people? He might not have. Remember, it's, I call it tulip or daisy Christianity. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You can't know whether those people are elect, so you can't tell them that Jesus Christ died for them. He might not have in that system. Are you following me? That's limited atonement. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ tasted death, the Bible says, for every man. And what's frustrating about this, it's not complicated. There's no reason for there to be a debate on this, but there is. And the reason is the Calvinist's final authority is not the word of God. Their final authority is Calvinism, not the word of God. Limited atonement. So total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, and then irresistible grace. And that's what we're talking about today. We're dealing with this point. They call it irresistible grace or the effectual call. Irresistible grace is this. If you are going to be saved, if God, if you are one of the elect, you will get saved whether you want to or not. And here's the idea. The idea, and Mackenzie really needs to be saved, okay? So here's Mackenzie. Hi, Mackenzie. Everybody say, hi, Mackenzie. Good. So here's Mackenzie, and Mackenzie needs to be saved. But here's the way the Calvinistic system works. God regenerates her, and then she receives him. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. They got it backwards. So the idea is God saves them, and then they receive him. That's the Calvinistic position. That's the idea of the effectual call or irresistible grace. That is, if God has chosen Mackenzie to be saved, then she will be saved with no conscious thought of her own. Now, the no conscious thought works with Mackenzie. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, But do you see, now, honestly... There are churches and believers all over the world that this is what they believe. Now, how many of you see that doesn't go along with the Word of God? It just does not go along with the Word of God. That's the irresistible grace. And, of course, the Bible says Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen does her chicks? And you would not. Stephen preached to them, how long will you resist the Holy Ghost? He said, You do always resist the Holy Ghost. But they're calling it irresistible grace. Now, the only way any person has ever been saved in history is by grace. Isn't that right? Just not irresistible grace. You see, what happens is they take truth and they add something to it. The last is perseverance of the saints. And the idea is if a person is genuinely believed, they will persevere, as genuinely saved. They will persevere to the end. And if a person falls away, that means they were never saved in the first place, not genuinely a part of the elect, not genuinely a part of the elect. How many of you know people? Well, let me ask you, how many of you walked away from the Lord for a period of time? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. The simple fact is I don't keep my salvation. Jesus Christ keeps my salvation. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen? Now, let me tell you what the, one of the big problems that you have when you... First of all, let me say this. I figured out part of the problem. I fixed it. All right, now, first of all, don't debate a Calvinist. You know, if if you've got a few hours to waste and you enjoy watching people's faces get red, go ahead. Um, What they believe is that God has two wills His secret will and His revealed will. And what they believe is that His secret will will always come to pass, His revealed will may be rejected. All right? And that's very convenient because you don't know what a secret will is, so you don't know whether or not it's happening. Right? So it would be like this. Here, I'm going to impersonate Bob Smith. I'm the Easter Bunny. That sounds exactly like Bob Smith. You're saying, how do I know? I don't know who Bob Smith is. Trust me. It sounds like him. Now, how many of you think that's really dumb? That's the idea of this secret will of God always being fulfilled you can fall back on that because you don't know what it is. Right? So you have this dichotomy of the two wills of God. They also believe in the two calls of God. You have the general call and the effectual call. The general call is the call to everyone. The effectual call is only to the elect. The effectual call is the irresistible grace. So if you are of the elect, then God will call you and you will respond to the call. And come to him. Uh, uh, Lawrence Vance in his book, The Other Side of Calvinism, he he said it great. He said, there there are two other words for the two calls that the Calvinists wouldn't genuinely or generally use. He said, there is the insincere call and the sincere call. Because in the Calvinistic system, that general call is not to be responded to. It's not designed to change a person's heart. It's not designed to draw that person to the Lord. Only the effectual call, and the effectual call is only for the elect. How many of you are confused? (laughs) You see, it's just a crazy, crazy system. And so what you do when you're debating with a Calvinist is they're throwing in all of these terms that they have their own definition for that have nothing to do with the Word of God. So it's a very hard thing. I I have come to believe this, and what they they believe that, that God's secret will, that God's will will always happen, and that God has willed everything that will ever happen. So it looks like the Calvinist that fell down the stairs and said, thank God that's over with. Because God had willed that he fall down the stairs that day. Honestly, there are people that believe that. Arthur Pink believed that Adam had to eat the fruit and fall, that God had willed him to do that. My Bible says God is not the author of sin. Amen? That is a different God than our God. But what they believe is they believe in this all-encompassing decree of God where somewhere in the past God decreed everything that would ever happen. That means God ordained child molesting. I asked a Calvinist that. I said there was just a child molestation in our town. Did Did God will that? He said he had to. Now, how many of you say that's a different God than you know? See, God is not the author of sin. God hates sin. The only reason sin exists in the world is because God gave man a choice to follow him or reject him, to choose him or reject him, to love him or hate him. Man has a choice, and man performs good or evil based on his acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And so this whole idea of the call of God, it becomes a, a problem for the Calvinist. I tell Calvinists this, and I, this it's fun because they turn red when you say this. I tell them, I guess it's just not God's will that I be a Calvinist. <laughs> they just don't have any. I said that to one guy. And he said, it's probably God's will that you're not saved then. I said, good response. That's a very well-thought-out, reasoned argument. And he got even madder. But, you see, this is why it doesn't pay to debate with a Calvinist. Um, I sat down, I was at a pastor's fellowship, and this pastor, we're about ten preachers at this table. And this pastor introduced me to his new assistant pastor, and he said, this is Andy. Andy's a five-point Calvinist. And he was introducing him to me just to cause trouble. And so Andy said, oh, do you believe in the doctrines of grace too? And I said, no, I disagree with all five of them. And you, you would have thought I slapped him in the face. And so for the next 30, 45 minutes, we had a debate. And let me humbly say, I destroyed him. (laughs) And the reason is, we have the Bible. But how many of you think I persuaded him? No. Debate is pretty much pointless. The only thing that debate does is it demonstrates, so if you were here watching me debate this guy, it might help you to know that we can answer their questions. That's profitable. If I, if I debate an unbeliever, and there are unbelievers out there, it's good for them to hear that we have answers to their questions, right? I've never seen anyone saved through a debate, the, the individual being debated. I've never seen anyone convinced. I've never seen anyone persuaded. So, here's where we are. We're looking at this call of God. Let's fly through this. Now, First Timothy chapter 2, let's read the context. What they say, verse 4, "...who will have all men to be saved." and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What they say is that's not talking about everybody. That's only talking about the elect. Well, let's look at the context. Verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for the elect. What's it say? For all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So now, what's the context? Everybody. Kings, people in authority, every man, everywhere. That's the context. So here's what Arthur Pink said. He said, verse 4, "...cannot teach that God wills the salvation of all mankind, or otherwise all mankind would be saved." He's saying, now, I know what it says, but that can't be what, that can't be what it means. You know what Calvin said? John Calvin said he considers it a childish illusion to think that this passage contradicts predestination. A childish illusion. Well, I'll just be childish then. I'm going to have childlike faith and accept what the Word of God says right here. Uh, he believes it's talking about classes of people. So, John Calvin, in his commentary on this text, believes it's talking about different classes of people a kingly class, those that are in authority that doesn't benefit him. It's not talking about classes. It's talking about all men. But if it were talking about classes, how many of you believe that there are kings in the world that are not saved? How many of you think that there are, in the Calvinistic system, that there are people in authority that would not be of the elect? So it still doesn't fit. Their system is built on a lie. A misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ died for. A misunderstanding of the call of God. So now... We've gotten that out of the way, I think. Let me look at my notes, make sure there's anything else I wanted to tell you. Yeah, we've gotten that out of the way. So what does the call mean? Let's let Jesus Christ define it. You got your Bible with you? John 3. Let's let Jesus Christ define this call. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Alright, what's this talking about? Remember the children of Israel, they were complaining. They were going through the, the wilderness, and God brought snakes into the camp. And if a guy was if somebody was bitten by one of those snakes, they would die. So he had Aaron make um a brazen serpent on a pole and lift it up, and if they would look, if they were bit by the snake, and they looked at that serpent, they would live. And so we sung the song, Look and live, look and live, look to Jesus now and live. It's this lifting up of Jesus Christ. So now, the idea of Jesus Christ being lifted up was his crucifixion. He was lifted up on the cross. All right? So, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, look at John chapter 8 and verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. So Jesus said, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. When they crucify Him, and and Jeff Faggart preached that tremendous message here, Jesus Christ, when He was lifted up, so many prophecies were fulfilled during His crucifixion. You would know. That He is God. You'd know that He is the Messiah. John chapter 12. What about this calling? John 12, verse 23. We know Jesus Christ would be lifted up. John 12, look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's a rhetorical question. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw who all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus Christ said that if he was lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. What is that? That is the call of God to eternal life. Every person in the world is to receive this call. But here's the question. So we said, who is the call for? It's for everybody. But how are we called? How are we called? Look with me at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Make that 2 Thessalonians, sorry. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14. Whereunto... He called you, this is speaking of God, He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how does the call of God work? Through the preaching of the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How, shall they, how then shall they hear? If whom they have not believed. How shall they believe in Him if whom they have not heard? How shall they hear? Without a preacher. You see, the preaching of the gospel is the tool that is used of God to call people to Himself. That is God's plan. So I wonder, how are you doing in your part of God's call? See, we are first of all to respond to God's call and receive the gospel. Amen? then we are to be witnesses of these things. Then we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is God's plan for His call. Now, now here's the deal. When I talked about the call being for everybody, the room was like this. When I talked about everybody giving the call, the room's like this. See, it's our job. God has ordained before the foundation of the world for you as a believer to give people the gospel and participate in the call of God. How who is the call for? It's for everybody. How does it go out? Through the preaching of the gospel. This can't just be for the elect. You know why we know it's not just for the elect? 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians you might be sitting out there saying, Pastor, I don't even know what a Calvinist is. Why do you keep talking about this stuff? You'll come across it. You will deal with this. And I want you to have the answer from Scripture. Look what the Bible says, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1:18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So if this is only for the elect, then how is it that some of these people who are hearing the preaching... Calling it foolishness. It can't be. It's the same gospel. The one gospel is for all. Some people accept it. That's salvation. Some people reject it. That's foolishness. Amen? So, how are we called? By the preaching of the gospel. Then, this call has to do something. To what are we called? To what are we called? Go back to Galatians. There's a reason for this. And, and I want you to understand, we always have a method to our madness. The Apostle Paul would always set forth the doctrine, and then he'd say, therefore. There was a, he'd give you the doctrine, and then he'd tell you what it means and what to do with it. When we establish these doctrines, the doctrine of the call, everyone can get saved. When we establish that doctrine, now you have something to hang your problems on. Now you have something to hang your needs on. Now you have something to hang your life situation on. That's where we're going to go right now. I want you to see this. We're called to something. Look at what it says. Galatians 1 verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. You've been called into the grace of Christ. What is that? Remember, grace is a gift. You've been called into the presence of Jesus Christ himself. You know, I've thought of that. You know what I would enjoy? I would enjoy going on the Glenn Beck program. I would like that. I'd like to give him the true gospel. Wouldn't that be cool? And he'd have to sit there and listen to it. That would be really cool. I would love that. I'd like to be called up by Glenn Beck. Hey, Jim, how'd you like to come on my show? Well, that's cool. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to send a plane for you and put you in a five-star hotel. And we're going to feed you, and you can bring your wife. No kids. No, this is good. We're talking about the good things about it. (laughs) Jacob said, and the kids. (laughs) Okay, do you see this? What are we doing? That's grace, right? That's me. I don't deserve to go on the Glenn Beck program. I've not done anything to gain any kind of notoriety. But it would be so cool. And all of that. How, how many of you would like to fly on a private plane? That would be sweet. Right? You know, we've been called into something so much greater than that. We've been called into the grace of Jesus Christ. For him to give us gifts that no one else could give because they're supernatural gifts. That's what we've been called to. We just revel in that and enjoy it. Okay, let's go on. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, nine. 1 Corinthians 1, nine. What else have we been called into? 1 Corinthians 1, nine. God is faithful by whom... Okay, so we're seeing that God's the one calling, right? God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So now, Glenn Beck calls me. And he says, Jim, come on the show. We're going to send a private plane. You and your wife can come. We're going to put you up in a hotel. But before you do that, how about you come over to the house and hang out? How many of you see that's different? See, Jesus Christ not only calls us into His presence for an audience... He calls us to sit down with Him and have fellowship. I I can just talk with Him. I can walk with Him. I can commune with Him. I can tell Him my problems. I, I can interact with Him. That's what the call of God is about. It's not just to a position. It's to a relationship. A genuine, heartfelt, bonding relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. The Lord, this is the one who's in charge of the whole world. And he just wants to talk with me. That's amazing. That's what we've been called to. So we've been called into the grace of Christ, into the fellowship of Christ. Now, look at First Thessalonians 2.12. twelve. First Thessalonians 2.12. And hopefully it is 1 Thessalonians this time. Yeah, it is. All right. Look what the Bible says. So the Apostle Paul has been preaching to them, and the content of his preaching has been uh, lived out. Verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children. But what did he charge them to do? that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Okay, now so here's the deal. Glenn Beck calls me. And he says, Hey, Jim, why don't you come and be on the show? I'm going to send you the private plane. We're going to put you in a nice hotel. You can come on the show. But then you can come to the house and hang out with us. But then not only that, I'm going to share everything I have with you. My name is my notoriety, my fame, you can have that. That's unbelievable. We've been called unto God's kingdom and glory. That's unbelievable. Well, I'm just nobody. Are you a son of God? That's what He's called us to. Then, look at what else. So we've been called unto the grace of Christ, fellowship with Christ, unto His kingdom and glory. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. See if this ties in with what we were just... with our analogy. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. See, we've been called out of something and into something. God has given us a new way to live. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we're called unto His kingdom and His glory. The call of God results in those dead in trespasses and sins being raised into the grace of Christ. So, When it's accepted, how many of you have have accepted the call of God? Anyone here have done that? Anyone here you have accepted it? Here's what this means. When you accept it, the, the, the general call to salvation, when you accept that, it becomes a call to a vocation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I was thinking of Tristan's message from last week. We're going to use a lot of Scripture tonight. That was good. I liked that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. God has called you when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're called to a walk. Remember, we saw that in the first Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. It said, we're called to walk worthy of the one who has called us unto his kingdom and glory. So now, as a believer, I'm called to walk a certain way. Worthy. Of my calling. It's going to change the way that I live. This is a call to a walk. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a call to holiness. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So now when you're saved, You're called to a certain kind of walk. That kind of walk is worthy of this this job that's called the child of God. It's worthy of the one who's called you into his kingdom and glory. And it's defined by holiness. Now, I'm called unto holiness. That's the opposite of uncleanness. I'm going to live a holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's called me, there's a reason for this doctrine. So we're called to holiness. Then look at, let me just go over this. We're not only called to the vocation and to holiness, but according to 1 Corinthians 7.15, we're called to peace. We're called to peace. And do you know what the context of that passage is? Your marriage. Got real quiet. Do You know, you can have peace at home you say you don't understand what my life's like my husband's not saved my wife's not saved you, you don't understand what my house is like you don't understand Do you know what the context of that passage is the person whose spouse leaves them because they're saved god says i've called you to peace i've called you to peace you see this calling it results in a change of life even in the most horrible of circumstances that's what you're called to you're called to something different and then galatians galatians chapter 5 verse 13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, it's wonderful. When I'm accepted, man, I don't have the burden of the law anymore. I don't have the burden of the law. I I don't have to do anything to go to heaven. There is nothing when I receive that call and I accept that call, I respond to that call, there's nothing else I ever have to do to be able to go to heaven. That is liberty. Amen? I can live. I can walk. I can serve in liberty. But I can't use that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. I'm not free to please myself. I'm free to serve God, to serve others, to live in love. I can forget all that junk that happened to me in the past. I can love people now. That's what I'm called to. So, God's call is both from something and to something. It's a call from darkness to light. It's a call from worldliness to holiness. It's a call from strife to peace. And it's a call from bondage to liberty. Have you received that call? If you have received that call, are you participating in the call, calling others to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living in the things that God has called us to, the vocation? Are you called to holiness? How is your peace What about your liberty? Are you free? Are you free? He's called us from something and to something. God's call is effective to those who believe. I hope that you've received the call. I hope that you're giving the call. And I hope that as a believer, you're responding to the things that He has called you to. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. What an amazing Bible we have.